Well, it's a new year. It's 2021. Although I saw a meme that said 2021 means 2020 W-O-N. It means 2021. And that hopefully is not true. Uh, it's, a, it's a new year, but as 2021 already showed us, that is just a day. It doesn't mean anything. Just because we move into a new year, we don't breathe a sigh of relief and go, oh, Glad we left that behind. It has already gotten crazier. I'm sure some of you have seen the other meme that is, oh, 2020 was so bad, and 2021 says, hold my beer, as it just kicks off and begins already in craziness. But when we look at kind of those feelings where we have, okay, 2020 is over, moving into 2021, or if you felt that way in 2019, or you felt that way in 2018, however you've felt that, anytime we have that, What that is, is this desire in us for progress. There's a desire in us for change. There's a desire in us for things to be better, for things to be new. There's a desire and a hope, even if you've kind of written off New Year's resolutions, there still is anytime the day changes, anytime the week changes, anytime the year changes, there is a thing in us that says, hopefully things can be better this year. It's not like old school Nintendo that you can just hit the reset button and redo the level, but we hope something like that is true. I don't know what that is for you, what areas in your life that you're hoping will be better, but maybe you even come in here today or joining us online if it's your first time, hoping that, okay, maybe faith will help things be better. Maybe, maybe my relationship with God is what you are focusing on and hope can be better this year, or your friendships, or your marriage, or your dating relationships, or maybe you hope that in 2021, uh, your health would be better, or your work life will change itself, or your finances will be better. There's a lot of different things that we come to and say, I hope that this will be better for me this year. There's probably a lot of different things. There's probably a lot of different things you hope to get a new start in. There's probably a lot of different things on your heart this year, goals that you have or areas of change that you have thought about. But we believe as Christians, and we believe here at True Life, that that whatever it is, whatever hope you have, whatever desire you have to be better, this year, 2021, will not be what it could be, will not be what God wants it to be without connecting to Jesus. Whatever hopes you have, whatever dreams you have, whatever goals you have, whatever desires you have, whatever areas that you're kind of seeking to see be different and better, it won't be what it could be without connecting to Jesus. Our life will never be what it could be without him. But in order for that to happen, we have to know who Jesus is. I'm saying that your life and your goals and your plans can never be what what they could be without life connected to Jesus, but we have to know who Jesus is. And and that might seem obvious, that might seem basic, but it actually can be kind of challenging to know who Jesus is. It can actually be kind of difficult to know who he is. If you're a Christian, you have some idea of who Jesus is, obviously, but you know that great progress in your faith and in your life and in your relationships is only going to happen as you actually get to know even more who he is. If you're not a Christian, obviously you're exploring and you're here and you're interested and what you desire to be different won't just happen in learning faith in some generic way, but only as you actually come to know who Jesus is. But it's not as easy as it sounds. It's easy to adopt 
certain views of Jesus that just kind of fit into the beliefs we have and then miss who he actually is. I want, I want to show you just a few examples of this because we're talking about life with Jesus in this series that we begin. But in order to have life with Jesus, we have to know who he is, but that's not as easy as it sounds because who is Jesus? This was from this week, the storming of the Capitol. And there was all sorts of signs like Jesus saves and Jesus is my savior. Trump is my president as they are breaching the Capitol. There is proud American Christian with the ichthus Christian symbol with an American flag in the middle of it. Is that Jesus? Does Jesus represent a, a storming of our nation's capital, five people dead? Is that Jesus? It's confusing sometimes to know who Jesus is. If you type in Google, Jesus was, even more important than his birth is that Jesus was a socialist. That's the most important thing that Google would like us to know about Jesus. Yeah, he was born, but remember, he was a socialist. Christmas, yes, yes, but he was a socialist. This is from the Los Angeles Times, letter to the editor. Jesus would not want his followers to spread the coronavirus. So there's these big worship gatherings that were happening. I don't know who this guy is. His hair is great, um, but he's famous, I think. And he's leading this big worship service. And someone is writing to the LA Times saying, this is not what Jesus would do. Obviously, this person and these people believe this is what Jesus would do. Who is Jesus? The New York Times has an article saying the forgotten radicalism of Jesus Christ and goes on to talk about many things about Jesus. This is recent from a couple weeks back. And then the Daily Beast says what the New York Times gets wrong about Jesus. So who is Jesus? Is he radical storming the Capitol? Is he a socialist? Is he someone that gathers people in the midst of the pandemic or someone that wouldn't do that? Is he what the New York Times says or not what the New York Times says, who is Jesus? If we want our life to be different, better, if we want change in any way, we have to have it with Jesus. But to do that, we have to know who Jesus is. And one of the obstacles to that is it's actually really easy to just attach Jesus to whatever cause or whatever idea or whatever belief. Oh, my Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus doesn't believe that. Jesus, just whatever position we have, we can attach Jesus to it to authenticate it. It also can be hard to know who Jesus is because even if you're not thinking kind of intellectually attaching Jesus, if you're a Christian, a lot of times in our life, we know who Jesus is in some ways, but we also wonder, who is he really right now to me? Who it can't, is he someone that can do something about this area in my life? Is he someone that really cares about this area in my life? Is he someone that, that has the heart, the ability to do something? Why, why isn't he doing something about this thing? Who, who is he? Even as Christians, we, we wonder those things in our life, and our year will never be what it could without him. But in order for it to be something it could be with him, we have to know who he is. And, and I just want you to think of 2021. What if you could be more grounded in knowing who Jesus is this year? What if wherever you are, whether you're starting from the very bottom and don't know it all and and maybe you're online because you're like, I'm not even sure I want to come to a church. And wherever you are, 
whether you've been a Christian for many, many years, what if you could be more grounded in knowing who Jesus is? Not just abstractly, but connected to all the things in your life. We are restarting, not restarting as in at the beginning, but we, we began in 2020 looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke and started a new series in there, and we're picking up where we left off. And this book is really written for that purpose, to help people know who Jesus is. It's written to people that were Christians. It's written to people that were already in the faith. But at the beginning of Luke, Luke says, I want to write this to you so that you can be certain of your faith, so that your faith drops levels deeper than where it is now. He says, I know there's things that you already believe, I, and this is true for many of you. You know who Jesus is at some level, at some way, but it can go deeper. And I can't think of a better thing to start 2021 off with as we want new beginnings, as we want change, than to say, who is Jesus? And the chapter that we're going to look at today doesn't obviously give us the full scope of who Jesus is, but I do think it gives us a good snapshot. It gives us some of what his actions are, some of what his heart is, and some of what his plan is, and then helps us to know how to respond to those things. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. The first thing we will look at that this tells us of who Jesus is is his actions. Luke 7, 1 through 35 is what we're going to be looking at. Here's what it says. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion, a centurion is a Roman soldier that was responsible for a hundred people, hence the centurion, if you're familiar with your Latin, I think it would be. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say this, I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Who is Jesus? Let's start by looking at the actions that Jesus takes. And, and here's the situation. You've got this man, this soldier, this man in power who is losing someone that he, that he loves. And it doesn't go into detail, but obviously he's losing someone he loves. He has done what he could to help that person. Whatever available medicine, he's done that. Time, whatever it is, he, he has worked to see that person. I'm sure he's tried everything to see that person well. It says that this was not just a servant, but someone that he loved, someone that he valued highly. And he's desperate to get help. He's desperate to get help. 
And maybe you've been in a situation like that. Maybe you find yourself there now where you feel like I've, I've done everything I can do, whether that's for you or for another person. I've tried. I've asked for help. I don't know what it might be for you, but are there areas in your life where you feel stuck or you feel the impending doom of what's going to happen? Maybe it's in your job and you feel like I've tried everything I can do, but the coworker situation is still not changing. I've tried everything I can do, but the boss situation is still not changing. Your finances, conflict that you're in the middle of, can be all sorts of different things where you feel like I can't get out. And maybe like the centurion, maybe like him, you ask others. You ask others for help or you ask others to ask God for help. You ask others to ask Jesus for help. And maybe like the centurion even, these people that he asked and sent to him, it doesn't say that this, um, the centurion told them to say this, but the first group of people that come to him say, He's, he, he, he's done all these different things. He's, he loves our nation. And this is a Gentile. This is someone that's not a part of Israel. They're not, they wouldn't be a part of the family of God. And yet he has some respect for the Jewish people. He, has, uh, he, is, he built them a synagogue. I mean, that's pretty cool. If you said, hey, I built you a church. I mean, I think that's pretty good. He's done some things for these people. And they're using that as kind of a bargaining chip. Jesus, do you see he's done this and he's done this and he's done this? He's worthy. And sometimes we feel like that. We might come to God or feel like, okay, I've done this now. I've, I've, I've given, I've helped, I've served, I've been obedient. Now, Jesus, can you do your part and help me because I'm stuck? I don't know if you've felt like that, but what this shows us about who Jesus is in his action there's at least two things I think are really important. Part of why Luke gives this to us. One is this. Jesus has power even when he's not physically present. We are in the same position as the centurion is. We're in the same position in the sense of when there's things going on in our life, Jesus isn't physically right here. And yet what the centurion says, which is true, is you don't actually need to be physically present here. All you need to do is speak a word and I know things can be different. All you need to do is to say something and I know everything that I am asking for can change instantly. We're in that same position. Jesus isn't physically here right now. If he was, all of us would stop listening to me, including me, and go run over to him. And Jesus says, or rather Luke says, wanting us to see similarly where we are, Jesus is someone that though not physically present, has the power, has the authority to change everything. And then secondly, it's shown to us that in that power, oftentimes we think, or they thought, that we need a worth, a value for him to exercise that power. The first group comes to him saying, he built the synagogue, he loves our nation, he is worthy. And then when the centurion sends his friends, he says, I need you to relay this message. Tell Jesus, I know I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. I am not worthy. He repeats it twice. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. 
See, a lot of times we think that in order for Jesus to act in our life, he either needs to physically be here or we need to have some sort of worth in order to deserve his help. Maybe other people deserve his help, but maybe not us. Maybe when we change these certain things, then we will deserve his help. Maybe if it had been a better year for us, a better 2020 for us, a better last night for us, a better this morning for us, whatever, then, then maybe I would deserve his help. I would deserve his action. I would deserve his power. And the centurion says, I know I'm unworthy. I know I don't deserve even for you to walk into my house. See, what we see about who Jesus is is two things. He has power even when he's not physically present and that he is gracious in his use of that power. That is not just a power that's for the deserving. It's a power that he gives to the unworthy. This is the same for us. Look, Jesus commends that faith. It's not like that just happens with the centurion and then the story moves along. It says when that happens, Jesus turns to the crowd, which would be us as readers. Jesus turns to the crowd and says, I'm amazed. There's only two times in the gospels that Jesus is said to be amazed. And this is one of them. He looks at the faith of this man who says, I know you can show up even when I know you can do something, even when not physically here, and I know you are gracious to the unworthy. Jesus says, that is the kind of faith that I commend. Someone that knows who we are as unworthy and someone that knows who he is, is absolutely gracious and able to act. This is the same for us. It's an invitation to us to know that how he acts is with power and grace. So, so let me ask you, where do, are you, where right now have you been facing life or a particular situation alone? Maybe it's something you fear that might happen soon or maybe it's just the certain problems or things that you're in. Where have you been facing that alone? Difficulty in your relationships, difficulty financially, difficulty emotionally, difficulty in all sorts of things. Where have you been facing that alone? That if Jesus were physically present, you would say, oh, oh, it's you, Jesus. Can you help with this? But because he's not, or maybe because you feel like you don't deserve it, you're facing life alone. When we face life alone, so much of the time, what happens is that leads to us burning out because our strength is limited. Our resources are limited. Our wisdom is limited. Our power, our love for others, it's all limited. And so when we face life alone, our tank drains and we're at the end of ourselves. We feel then totally emotionally dry. We feel burnt out. Where are you facing life alone? This piece of who Jesus is invites us, like Hebrews says, to come boldly to the throne of grace. I love that image of a throne of grace because it gets at this little snapshot of Jesus, of someone with absolute power and yet filled with grace. So who is Jesus? First, we look at his actions. He's someone that wants to enter into our life. He wants us to come to him with whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're facing, and to say, I know you're not physically here, but I know you can show up and change everything in an instant. 
I know I don't deserve it, but I'm asking. I'm coming boldly to you and saying, will you show up here, Jesus? That's the first thing we see as we look at the action of Jesus, someone with power and grace. Secondly, we can see something of the heart of Jesus. Here's the next part of the chapter. It says, afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Wanna know who Jesus is? We need to see what he can do, his actions, but also his heart. He's not just someone that does things and says, okay, fine, you begged me, I can, I can do it. But what is his heart? What's going on inside of Jesus? I love stories like this because they give us the emotional world of Jesus, not just the actions, but they tell us actually how he feels. The situation is this. You have a woman who's already experienced deep loss. She's a widow, which is devastating today, but especially in that culture where the husband would have been the primary source of protection, provision, financial security. With him gone, she is insecure. With him gone, life is probably very unstable. Widows were one of the most vulnerable groups in that culture. And now, on top of that, she's lost her only son, which would have been the secondary source of security and financial provision is the children. Please remember that, my kids. <clears throat> she now loses, she's lost everything and now she loses everything. Completely. Deep loss. Listen, have you had it bad and then it gets worse? Have you ever had it bad in thought, oh, at least this is the bottom? And then it actually gets worse than that. This is what happened to this woman. Have you ever had it so bad that really all you can do is cry? I mean, what, what, what can this woman do but weep? What can she do but mourn? If you felt like that, or if you now feel like that, Here's an important question. How does God feel? How does God feel towards you in the middle of what is heartbreaking for you? I know many of you have all sorts of things right now that are heavy on your heart. You are filled with sorrow or you've had this in your life and maybe never totally kind of processed it or dealt with it. How does he feel toward, not just what does he do, not just what can he do, how does he feel? That's what is so great about this snapshot of who Jesus is, is it gives us his internal world. 
And this story is different from the first. In the first story, people ask Jesus, will you do something? And he does. In this story, nobody asks Jesus anything. But he sees something and feels something. No one asks him. He's not doing it just because he was asked. He's not doing it just because he felt a duty or an obligation. He's doing something based on how he feels. It says Jesus saw and felt compassion. Jesus sees the pain. He sees the hurt. And his internal world is, I feel compassion. My heart goes out to you. I feel for you. My heart breaks for you. And he's moved to action. Listen, Jesus hasn't changed. The Bible tells us that. The same Jesus that saw her pain and was moved to compassion when he saw it, he's not different now. 2,000 years haven't gone by and now he's kind of a crusty old man that's just like, ah, widows. That's not who he is. Jesus is the same. Which means in our life, where you feel hurt, where you feel broken, where you feel sorrow, where you, when's the last time you cried? Jesus sees that. Jesus has compassion for you. Wherever there's pain, wherever there's loss, wherever there's need, Luke is helping us see who Jesus is. And and I can just assure you, Jesus sees and cares. And just like it says here, he wants to visit you. They, They say when Jesus shows up, and obviously this is a crazy miracle, he raises this person from the dead and they say, wow, God has visited us. It doesn't necessarily mean they believed and were confessing what we do, that Jesus is God, but rather that they are experiencing something that they know of the power of God in that moment. God wants to visit you in your pain, in your hurt. If we want life to be different or better or experience change, we have to have it with Jesus, but we have to know who this Jesus is. He's someone who has actions of power. We don't have to do life alone He has gracious power and he's someone whose heart in whatever it is that we're struggling with and going through and sad about and hurt about and crying about, his heart, he really feels compassion. And then third, we get a window into who Jesus is, his wisdom or his plan that helps us see him. Here's what it says next. Then John's disciples told him, this is John the Baptist, then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who is to come? The the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Are, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, 
Those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. This gives us a window into Jesus's plan. I love this story, maybe even the most of the three. And I'll, I'll tell you why in, in a second here, but here's the situation. John, John the Baptist, not because of his denomination, but because of his action of what he did in baptizing people. John the Baptist preached. He preached, he called people to repentance. John the Baptist announced that the, the one who was to come, the Messiah was coming. This was a part of his ministry. He was saying, get ready, repent. The kingdom is at hand. And then Jesus shows up and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John knows something about Jesus. John is this great prophet. He's baptizing people. He's getting people ready for the coming of the Messiah. When he sees Jesus, he says, behold, there he is. He baptizes Jesus. I mean, John is not some kind of two-bit, I don't know, follower, explorer of Jesus. He is someone who is a mature believer, someone who is deeply involved in God's mission. And now he's in jail. Now he's in jail. We know that from other parts of the gospels in the timeline. He's in jail and now he's got some questions. Now maybe he's not so sure. Doesn't say his faith is completely gone, but Jesus hadn't done what he expected him to do. And now he's not so sure. Maybe you've had times like this. Your faith was strong. Your belief was strong. Your passion was strong. You looked at Jesus and said, there he is, behold. And you told people about Jesus and you felt deeply. And you saw him at work in your life and you felt his promises fulfilled. And then things didn't go the way you expected them to go. Things didn't turn out the way that you thought they should turn out. Things didn't make sense. This person, this, this Messiah, this Jesus, the one that takes away the sins of the world, the, John had certain beliefs and expectations of what that meant as a Messiah. Probably, for many people, what they believed the Messiah would do is to storm the capital. Literally. That's what they expected the Messiah to come and do. And he didn't. Things didn't change. John's ministry wasn't as vindicated or validated. John's left to rot in prison and eventually is beheaded. How is this the Messiah? How is this justice? How is this the one who is to come? Have you had strong faith and then your life circumstances have shaken it where then you have questions where if you could, you would send a messenger to Jesus to say, are, are you going to do something about this? Are you the one that cares? Are you the one that actually can do something? Have you had ways in your life that you trusted in God and you prayed to God and you, maybe you even fasted and you, had, you, you thought, okay, things are moving the right way and then you lost your job. Finances didn't come through. You couldn't get pregnant. 
You lost the child. The relationships that you prayed for were broken. The friendships that you thought you would have, instead you experienced loneliness. You thought God was gonna show up, but things didn't work out the way you expected, and now you've got questions. Now you're not sure. See, I love this story because the first one says, Jesus is powerful and can show up even when he's not present. Like, okay, that's awesome. And on top of that, for the unworthy, wow, that's really awesome. Jesus is compassionate. He sees our pain and acts. Wow, that's great. But what if that's not true for me? Because I don't see him doing that to me. Jesus didn't show up and release John from prison. Jesus didn't raise John from the dead. He was killed. Jesus didn't exercise the same kind of compassion. I'm not saying he was not compassionate, but he didn't exercise the same kind, the visible display of compassion that he did for this widow. So sometimes we, we see who God is in other people's lives. We see who we want him to be to us and there's a huge disconnect and we say, maybe that's true about you, but your plan, it doesn't seem like it's true to me. And Jesus doesn't meet the expectations that we have. John is one of the most mature believers that we are shown in the gospels. Jesus, we'll look at this in a second, says that none is born of woman greater than John is. And we have ways that we think Jesus should act. We have expectations for him. And listen, just like Jesus is still powerful and just like today, Jesus is still compassionate. Today, Jesus is still confusing. And I don't say that in any blasphemous or derogatory way, but just to say Jesus still acts unexpectedly from how we think the dots would connect. That still is how Jesus is today. Doubt, questions are normal. Jesus not meeting, listen, some of you just need to hear this, that Jesus not meeting your expectations is a normal experience. That doesn't mean somehow you've fallen away from grace. It doesn't mean that, you, that, it's, it, that he's not there. It doesn't mean that something totally is broken and gone wrong. That is the norm, is Jesus' plan being way different than we can conceive. That's the norm. Doubt and questions are normal, but what Jesus tells to John is the same for us. We, we can't sit in them and just let it stew. John does something about it. He pursues answers to those questions. He sends people to Jesus. Listen, if you just, if God has not met your expectations for whatever it might be, if he hasn't shown up in the way that you thought he was gonna show up, which I know is true for many of us, I've definitely had periods in my life like that. If that's the case, if you just sit in that, you will grow bitter, you will grow apathetic and uncaring because obviously he's uncaring. You will probably compromise. You will probably begin to compromise. If his, if his plan isn't getting me what I want, I'll have to come up with another way to compromise, to do certain things relationally, financially, vocationally that normally I wouldn't have done, but because 
prayer didn't work, because church didn't work, because the Bible didn't work, I need to get what I need this way. And what Jesus says to John is this, and it's the same thing he speaks to us through Luke. Don't base who he is on your feelings. Don't base who Jesus is on your expectations. Instead, what Jesus says to John is look again at what I've said and what I've done. Right now, your experience of me isn't what you thought it was gonna be, but Jesus says, tell John to look. Tell him to look and see what has happened. Tell him to remember the things that I have done. He says to John's friends, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. Look at the facts. Look at what you have, don't just pay attention to your feelings. And I'm not saying your feelings are dumb. I I get it, it's hard. But Jesus, to reassure John, says, "Look look at what you've seen and look at what you have heard. That's the same thing for us. When Jesus doesn't meet your expectations, when it's not going the way you wanted it to go, when you thought he should show up here and he didn't, when he showed up for those people and he's not showing up for you, Jesus would say, Look at what you've seen and heard again. John had already seen and heard these things, but he's reminding him. For us, it's the same. He says, go back and see who I am. See what I've done. See what, I have, see what you have already heard and be reminded. Root yourself in how I have revealed myself, my character, my actions. Go back to that. Not just how you feel right now, in this moment, which means if he's not showing up, if he's not doing what we expect, if he's not delivering John from prison, if he's not delivering you from whatever prison you feel, he has a plan. There's wisdom there that we don't understand. It's not different from his ability and his compassion, but his wisdom is often beyond what we can understand. So, This is who Jesus is. Final question, final thing to look at is how do we respond then? If if this is who Jesus is, one that acts with power and grace, one whose heart is filled with compassion, one whose plan is often different than we expect and yet is filled with wisdom beyond us, how do we respond? Here's the final part of this section. After John's messengers left, He, that's Jesus, began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? John would preach in the wilderness, and he's saying, why did you go listen to him? What did you go out to see? A reed, piece of grass swaying in the wind? It's being sarcastic. That's not what you went out to see. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? John didn't wear soft clothes. He wore camel hair, which is not very much in fashion these days, and not those days either. And he says, see, those who are spun... Those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, quoting from Micah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
And when all the people, including the tax collectors, who were the worst of sinners, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. This last section really leads us to respond. The people heard John and Jesus' message. They heard both of those messages, and though they were presented in different ways, John was kind of this fiery prophet in the desert. If someone wears camel hair, you know they mean business, right? That's like, this person has a message, obviously, because they're making a statement. They're eating grasshoppers, and like that's a person that obviously is a little eccentric. And he had this fiery message, and they said, this dude's crazy, he's got a demon. Jesus shows up, and he's eating and drinking with people and hanging out with sinners, maybe a little less fiery, some fiery moments, but really relational. And they go, this guy, obviously he's a glutton and a drunkard. Same message, different method. And Jesus says this, both of us came, both of us came calling people Both of us came with the same message and the message was a call to come to God, a call to repent. That's what Jesus preached, repent. He preached the good news of the kingdom. John preached, repent, the kingdom is at hand. Both of them preached and the people heard these different methods, but the same call. And some people, some people saw their life without Jesus. Some people saw their need for Jesus and they said, I want that. I want to come to you. I want to come. If you're the one, and John is saying, behold, this is the one. If you're the one that can take away sin, if you're the one that can bring a new kingdom, I want you. Some people heeded the call to repent. And often it was those that knew their sin the most. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't heed that call because they didn't think they were sinners They didn't see God's compassion and grace towards sinners. And Jesus says this, he calls them children whining because God doesn't meet their expectations. They want want them to to either have a big festival or they want them to to be mourning and sad. And, And either way, they don't meet the expectations. Jesus says this is what this generation is like. And then really the passage ends there, which is a call for us, a choice for us to make, which is will we complain that God doesn't meet our expectations? Will we complain that maybe the, the way that the message is is either too sad or too happy, it doesn't quite fit, it's too doom and gloom and, or it's too excited and not serious enough? Will we complain of God's message that calls us to him, to repent, 
to experience life in his kingdom with him as king? Or will we come to him, repent, and enjoy life with him? See, we, we, want, we want our year to be different. We want our year to be better. We want our lives, we want certain areas to be different and better, whether that's friendships or emotions or all sorts of things. And the way that that happens is life with Jesus. But we only get life with Jesus when we know who he is, his actions, his heart, his plan. And here's part of the key in all these stories. If you wanna know who Jesus is, in all three of these stories of the man whose servant was dying and the woman whose son was dying and John who's rotting in jail, in all three of these stories, to know who Jesus is comes in the middle of our pain. That's such an important thing because maybe for some of us right now and maybe recently in 2020, life filled with pain. But to know who Jesus is, a faith, a deeper grounding in your faith won't come in spite of pain. It will come because of the pain. It's hard to know how compassionate Jesus is if you're not in sorrow. It's hard to know how wise Jesus is and trust him beyond your experience if he's not meeting your expectations. It's hard to know how powerful and gracious he is if you don't call out to him in the middle of something that you can't solve yourself. We want to know who Jesus is because when we know who Jesus is, we experience life with him and life with him is always different is always better. And that often comes as we respond to him in the middle of our pain. So here's what this means. This isn't a sermon or a passage that's super practical, go and do this, but it does mean if this is who Jesus is, how do you need to respond? Maybe it's to confess to him. Maybe it's to say, I, I haven't brought you into my pain. I haven't asked you to help even though you're not physically present. I have, I have developed thoughts and bitterness about you because you didn't meet my expectations. Maybe it's to confess to him today as we take communion. Maybe it's to, like John, pursue answers to the questions that you have instead of just sitting in them. To say, I, you're not meeting expectations here. Okay, then I need help. And to pursue answers to those questions. To return, maybe for many of us, it's to return to who he has shown himself to be, to what he has said, instead of just our feelings. Maybe it's to pray in a situation where he's not physically present and to say, okay, if you can show up, even though I don't see you like the centurion, then I'm gonna ask you to do that and keep asking you to do that. And maybe it's just a heart posture of a commitment that says, this year, Jesus, if this is who you are, if this is who you are, someone with these kind of actions and this kind of heart and this kind of plan, I'm not gonna whine when my expectations aren't met. I'm not gonna reject your call. I'm gonna come to you. I'm gonna let my life be built around you. And to seek to do that, to have Jesus be the center and focal point of our life. And you know what happens? What happens is exactly what Jesus said. It's such a crazy statement, but he says that John is the greatest born of women, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. That's talking about us. 
that you can look out throughout all the Old Testament. You can see Moses and Elijah and Abraham and David and Solomon and all these people, and you can say, I'm greater than them, I'm greater than him, I'm greater than her, I'm greater than him, greater than her. Esther, yeah, she's nice, greater than her. Moses, pretty good guy, greater than him. That's what Jesus says. Why? Not because of how, this is not like a self-esteem boost. It's because he is saying, you've experienced more. John was preparing the way for the Messiah to come, but anyone in the kingdom of God, even if you're the least, you've experienced more of Jesus' grace. You know more of his wisdom. You know more of his power. You know more of his presence. You know more of his compassion. You know more of who he is. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he showed us all those things on full display that people in the Old Testament just got to see pieces of. What we're gonna do in a moment is take communion. We remember that God came into this earth and his body was broken, his blood was shed. And on the cross, you wanna know a God that, that shows up in acts with grace, even to the unworthy? He says, look, at, you're gonna see it even more when you're a part of the kingdom. A God that would die for us. You want to see a God that's compassionate towards those that are suffering? On the cross, we see not just a person that's compassionate towards suffering, but willing to take on the suffering. That's a compassionate God. You want to see a God that doesn't quite fit the expectations, but who has greater wisdom? Who ever heard of a God that came and died? He says, my plan never meets your expectations fully, but the wisdom of God, Paul said, is shown in the folly of men. What we think is foolish, what we can never understand, the cross shows God always has a plan. See, the least in the kingdom experiences so much more than anyone ever saw. That's the invitation. What you get when we come to Jesus, the difference that we get, the year that we get when we come to him is a deeper greatness than anyone in the Old Testament ever saw. And the more we come to him and the more we see him, thus, the more fully we experience that greatness in our lives. Please pray with me as we take communion and respond in worship and and just take a moment in in your seat and whatever way you need to respond, take the time to do that. And, and then you, you can also use this time to take a next step. You can go to our next step page. Maybe, maybe the response for you is to get into a community group or to serve or give. or all, I, don't, I don't know. It can be different ways that God is moving you to come to him in obedience. And then during the music, uh, there will be some people, myself and others in the back, if you would like prayer for something. Maybe you want prayer for healing. We can't promise that God heals you, but we would love to pray for you or maybe you just need prayer for other things in your life. We'd love to pray for you. Please pray with me now and then respond in communion. God, we we thank you that you're better than we expect. Jesus, you are a gracious king. You have the power to change every one of our lives and we know your heart is filled with compassion towards us. You are not immovable. You are not unfeeling. You are not apathetic towards us. You are filled with compassion. And God, we know that you are wise even when you don't do the things that we thought you were going to do. 
pray that you would help all of these truths to go deeper into our hearts even now as we take communion and respond in song. Amen.